Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for the first edition of the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour in 2020. I am your host, Ken. I'm joining me in the studio as always. It's co-host. It's Paddle Juan J. I don't know about anyone else listening to the show, but I got to say, I'm having a good day. Uh, I was watching a little Gargoyles on Disney Plus earlier today. Saw a really cool design that I wondered, you know what? That would have been a really cool action figure back in the day. How did they not make this? So I tweeted my thoughts out about it. And I had an idea. I'm like, why don't I tag the producer in this? Greg Weissman. If you're a fan of any cartoons from the 90s and early 2000s, you know the name. He's worked on Young Justice, Gargoyles, Hercules, the animated series for a brief time. You know, all many, you know, spectacular Spider-Man, which a lot of people say is the best, one of the best animated Spider-Man in recent history. He actually tweeted me back. So well, uh, right on. Yeah, no. So it's been it's been a very good day. Uh, for me, my day is filled with cold medicine and killing whatever is inside my system that's trying to take me out. It is the season. It is, but you ain't going to take me down. You can't stop the ODPH, folks. You can only try containing mm-hmm. us. But let's get into it, shall we? A lot has been going on since we really deep-dived into the land of music, or movies, TV, and comics. Sometimes we talk a little music because there were so many shows going on last episode, too, mm-hmm. that we had to go hype up. Brian Wolf absolutely crushed it. Yeah, he did. Steel Tavern. Shout at the robots and floodlands, killed it at Galaxy, and Second Suitor did their thing too. Man, it was a crazy night of mm-hmm. music in town. But we have to just jump back into our normal routine. Last episode of the Entertainment Edition, we covered Rise of Skywalker, but we're getting back to our regular scheduled format here on the ODPH. So join us in that conversation, shall we? Hit us up on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can find links to our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, and always join in that conversation with the hashtag ODPH because we want to interact with you. Now, kicking off the top of our 2020 had to be arguably one of the best series to come out in 2019. Mm-hmm. That is Disney Plus's Star Wars The Mandalorian. Yes. Now, if you have not seen The Mandalorian yet because Disney Plus is not where you are, I feel very, very bad for you. If you have Disney Plus and you've already canceled your subscription, I say why. Yeah, they're still adding some good stuff. They're adding some good stuff. I mean, obviously, Plus they're... Plus, they moved up WandaVision from early 2021 to this year. Yeah, which I, I have some feelings, which we'll get into a little later in the show. I might save that for one shot, sure, actually. Sure, But what we are going to do is recap the final two episodes of The Mandalorian because it's one big story... And it's a great story that they finished on. So we are going to be talking spoilers. So unfortunately, if you have not seen it yet, I do feel bad. And just say pause this episode or we'll put the timestamp in so you can jump back in the conversation. Because we want to deep dive into the final two episodes and wrap up season one of The Mandalorian in three, two, one, pad. What did you think? This episode, These two episodes were absolutely some of the best Star Wars writing I've seen ever. Like, you know, it, it, I put it up in the conversation of some of the good uh, arcs, story arcs from Star Wars Clone Wars, you know, Mortis Trilogy, in, in, in you know, the uh, episodes where they are, uh, the, they're, I forget what the, the name of the arc is called, but it's where him, Anakin, his Padawan, and uh, Aayla Sakura crash land on a planet, you know, in early in season one, just like some of those episodes and some of the stuff from Rebels. You know, and even some of the stuff on screen that these two episodes were so good. Yeah. Now, this has been a 
very surprising in the best sense show to really close out 2019, really mm-hmm. kind of build some excitement because yeah. as we've talked on in previous episodes, Rise of Skywalker has been very polarizing amongst the fan community. Yeah. Uh, so this one, though, seems to have won everybody over and rightfully so. I mean, the story that Jon Favreau has written Mm-hmm. For the story of an unknown character that has a striking, brand new character, yeah, that has a striking resemblance to one Boba Fett, mm-hmm. the baddest bounty hunter in all the galaxy, and seeing where his journey has gone, like I say, they borrow a lot from Lone Wolf and Cub. Yep, they borrow a lot from Western uh, movies and, and, you know, and the, writing uh, samurai movies for like from Akira Kurosawa. Yeah, like they borrow so much yeah. and make it work. Because mm-hmm. especially with an unknown property, you really want to see what you got to work with. Right, and it's like we said before, it would have been very easy for them to take, you know, a Bosque, IG-88, you know, Boba Fett, mm-hmm. and, and make a story based off of them. Because let's be honest, if you make a Boba Fett, IG-88, or even a Bosque uh, television series, it sells itself. Because there are very, you know, some bigger than others, obviously, but there are very large fan followings for all of those characters. It was a, definitely a risk to create a new character, but it's a risk that paid off handsomely. Obviously, when this show was first announced, it was risky. And obviously, yeah. knowing the fan base that is Star Wars. Well, and especially you think back to the first, even if you look up the first teaser trailer, it really doesn't show much. And, it, and, no. I, and I remember some of the fans online were like, okay, it looks good, but like I need to see more than just some visuals. Like right. something about a story. But we, the only thing we really knew, and they really did an excellent job with this, is they loaded the cast up. Pedro Pascal was con- was announced as the lead in the show, as the Mandalorian. Yep. And we started seeing other characters get added throughout the show. And obviously the journey where we see Carl Weathers, uh, mm-hmm. Werner Herzog, Gina Carano, Nick yep. Nolte. And the list goes on and on, even to the last edition, which has been Giancarlo Esposito. Mm-hmm. They have really nailed this out of the park. Absolutely. So to see where we go, it's been the journey of the introduction of Baby Yoda as the prize of the client and how the Mandalorian has a change of heart and decides to really take things in his own hand and become a protector. A really flip of the script from what we're used to seeing out of this. Yeah, especially when... You know, he delivers the child back to, you know, the client and he leaves and he you can tell he's definitely having some second thoughts about this because he asks what are you know, in I think it was episode two or three, you know, what are you planning on doing with this? And, and the client says, you know, Warner Herzog's character says, you know, why are you asking? I thought I thought that was against the guild rules. Yeah. So when we see that the change of heart happens with the Mandalorian, you see now he's become a protector instead of a hunter. This is where the show really finds its heart, that Baby Yoda has won over millions that have seen it and now has become the hottest thing out there. And to see how the Mandalorian has become the anti-hero that the Star Wars universe needed has really been a fun ride. Mm-hmm. Going into those final two episodes, we weren't sure how they were going to wrap things up, but they yeah. did it very excellent mm-hmm. because what they really wanted to drive home is the stakes are high. Yeah, We are going to season two, but we want to give you something to hang on about. Yes. And where we jump in the episode, the Mandalorian has been on the run from the guild and everybody that's hunting. We'll say anyone, no matter what uh, amount of experience they have in bounty hunting. Right. From like the brand new green behind the ears to the grizzled seasoned veterans. So when he receives a message from Grief Karga. Yep. That being Carl Weathers. Right. Who is basically trying to bargain with the Mandalorian 
about coming back and freeing up the town that has now been overrun from episode one. Right, yeah, so the, yeah, the, the thing we find out is the town's been overrun by Imperials, and it's just causing all sorts of headaches for him. And you got to figure that, like, okay, this has been a pain in the butt for, you know, the Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal. Mm. It's been a butt, pain in the butt for Gina Carano's character, and just anywhere he goes, it's a pain in the you-know-what. you got to imagine, you know, Carl Weathers is just kind of the character is kind of sitting there going, all right. You know, I'm tired of hearing about this. I'm tired of dealing with this. Let's just solve this so I can move on with my life. Right. And uh, this is where it follows up from episode two. I apologize. And at this point, we really get a sense of where the Mandalorian is figuring out what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's loading up his associates. So he goes get some old friends involved. Yep. He goes and gets who? Uh, Cara Dune. And then uh, Quill. However you say the name? Yeah, uh, Nick Nolte's character yep. and uh, Gina Carano's character to join the team yet again. So mm-hmm. they're bringing everything full circle, which I liked, yeah. especially for being a short season. And they're also going into this knowing that they got one shot mm-hmm. to nail this. One opportunity. But, yes, can they capture it or let it slip? Uh-huh. Quote to Ryan Reynolds or yeah. Eminem, depending on what you want to do. Yeah. Anyway, getting back on task. So, obviously, with the trap being presented in front of them, and obviously you can't really trust bounty hunters no matter what you do. Nope. They're going to great lengths to make sure that they have a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Kui decides to get smart and resurrect an old friend mm-hmm. and do a little uh, brainwashing, shall we say? Reprogramming. And who do we bring back to the table? Uh, one Taika Waititi's character of IG-11. Yes, who was winning over fans in episode one. Uh-huh. So, once the deal is struck that they know they're walking into a trap, they meet up with Karga. And Karga brings some friends to the party, but they're attacked during this whole mess. Yeah, they're attacked. Like, there's some creatures that look like pterodactyls or something like that. Local local uh, fauna. Yeah, I believe they're called Minox. Yeah, maybe. And at this stage, we see something that we've now seen in the month of December that I did not really know was uh, able to happen with the Force, but I guess I really don't pay attention to that I mean, in depth. Uh, I don't think it was either. I mean, I know there's been instances in video games and, you know, role-playing and stuff like that of healing in Star Wars, but never anything this definitive. Right. And that is when Karga is hurt, Mm -hmm. Baby Yoda heals him using the Force. Right. Which we also saw in Rise of Skywalker. Yep. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to get into it. You can listen to last week's episode and jump right into that conversation. But we yet again see a healing factor. Mm -hmm. Now being transmitted yeah. via the force. Yeah, don't know where I really think about it, but it does make sense that the force is more than right. And I mean, it it, it makes sense. I mean, it, and it's something that okay, it's not a get out of jail free card. It's not a fix all be all end all. You know, like oh, we can do whatever we want. It's not like the X Men uh, Dawn of X thing. We're like oh hey, we, it doesn't matter if we die. We can just regenerate ourselves. You know, it it seemingly does have a limit. You know. It, sure, it fixed the injury on Karga, but you know if this was a thing or and has been a thing that the Jedi are aware of, it clearly can't do much because well, if it was all you know the get out of jail free card, you might think it is. Why did they let Anakin keep a prosthetic hand back in the sequ- in the prequel trilogy? You know, if if it's one of those things like okay, it fixes the wound Karga's got on his chest or stomach or wherever it is. You know, if it's got no limit why wouldn't they use it on Anakin's hand to regenerate his hand? So it clearly has a limit. And as we saw in rise of Skywalker, again, won't get into spoilers. You know, it does come with a toll. It comes with a toll and there's a lot that can be left on the table with it. That this is an emerging power. Yeah. This isn't something, this isn't something that like you do lightly. This isn't something like, Oh, Hey, don't worry about it. I got it. I'll tip. No worries. And from this, we have a little honor among thieves moment Mm -hmm. where cargo decides to kill the people he brought to the ambush and break down that the whole plan was to use 
uh, the Mandalorian as bait to get the child back. Yep. And thus now he has confessed everything and he said, let's just do it. Your plan. Kill the client. Evan now will smooth everything over with the guild. Everything will be great. And the Mandalorian as well. Basically, I'm here. And if I'm not mistaken at this point, he said, because they're all going. They left the child on the ship. Mm-hmm. And they're all going because middle of nowhere can't tell where it is. Yada yada yada. They thought they could trust these folks, but at this point, you got to assume they gave up the position of where the ship is. Um, you know, he sends Cooey back to the ship, going, "All right, listen, we're going to go to the town, take care of business. You get back to the ship and protect the kid." Right, because he's trying to get the sh- yeah. When Cooey's going back to the ship with Baby Yoda, they have their own little side story going mm-hmm. on. Thus, when Team Mandalorian, as we'll just call them. Goes back to where it all began, mm-hmm. the original bar where, where the bounty was given. Yep, they are not greeted very nicely. No, they're greeted about as nicely as R two and three PO were in the original movie. Right, because during this whole time when they had finally meet up with the client, everybody's supposed to make the deal to, so to speak. This is when a major bad villain shows up. Mm-hmm. I guess major bad, we can use that word. Sure. And who is that villain? Uh, it is one Giancarlo Esposito, a.k.a. Moff Gideon, showing up. Now, if you're not familiar, Moffs are the regional governors of, uh, the, you know, the kind of think of if, uh, if just to make it easy, simplistic, uh, he would be in charge of our solar system. If if we're, if our solar system was in the Star Wars universe, and, and he, you know, he would be the Moff of our System. He's in control of the entire system. Uh, it is also the same. Uh, it's the rank right below what Tarkin had in the original film. Right. So when they're back at square one, the deal is getting made. Everything is going to go down. Gideon and his troops open fire. Mm-hmm. Taking out the client, taking out the bodyguards, and basically pinning down Team Mandalorian. You know, it's funny. It's almost like something someone once said. There's always a bigger fish. There is, and when that fish shows up and says, where is the child? Then he brought a rocket launcher to a knife fight. Yeah, he Holy came fully cow. prepared. The Mandalorian and Team Mandalorian were completely outsmarted yeah. and given bad intel because they thought it was only a couple of soldiers. Yeah. Like they, I think uh, Carl Weathers' character said that like there was only maybe like a dozen uh, stormtroopers in town. They're like, oh, it's not much. It's not anything we can deal with. And they show up, and it's like five times that amount. Right, so during this whole firefight, Kui is trying to get back to the ship with the child. Right, he, well, he's running back, and all the meanwhile, he's, like, running as fast as he can, and all the meanwhile, Pedro Pascal's trying to message him, like, get a hold of him, like, hey, where the bleep are you? Yeah, because he's trying to warm up what's going on, and at this point, two stormtroopers take him out. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Pedro Pascal make, goes to make a transmission or make a call to him. They intercept the transmission. Yeah, they, they block the transmission. They block off. the transmission off. They catch it, and they're like, oh, hey, well, that's a little bit of importance. Why don't we go out there? Right, so obviously this is the end of Kui and his run, and they do wind up capturing the child. Which is a shame. You know, it's a shame that Kui died. I just hope he gets some sort of spinoff miniseries. Like, it doesn't need to be a full season, but just do something maybe four or five episodes. You know, never say never because I mean, we thought I thought uh, Cargo was gone at the mm. beginning of the season, and yeah. you know, lo and behold, Luke yeah. comes back. So during this stage, you see the scout troopers are now in possession of Baby Yoda, mm-hmm. and thus the backup plan comes full circle with IG Eleven showing up and mm-hmm. handling business. Which, like I say, IG Eleven as the protector of Baby yeah. Yoda. Very much an upgrade from the Bounty Hunter. Yes. IG-11. But with all the humor uh, still intact. Yeah, well, it's his Taika, so it's Taika being Taika. Mm-hmm. And then going back to our regular scheduled team, Gideon is having that exchange that 
basically you work with me or you do not work with me Mm -hmm. and you will not like the option B. So as they're pinned down, IG-11, who has become the hero of this episode, arrives and basically buys enough time for the Mandalorian and company to try escaping. Well, and we can't forget how this episode opens, uh, basically confirming one of the long-held beliefs in the Star Wars universe that uh, Mandalorians can't hit the broad side of a you-know-what. And you got the two scout troopers who uh, killed Kui, captured Baby Yoda, are sitting there on their speeder bikes waiting for like confirmation that like it's safe to go back into the city. And they're sitting there, they're leaning up against their speeder bikes, and there's this little can sitting there. And they take out their little pistols. Uh, and funnily enough, uh, the, bi- the bike troopers are voiced by one Jason Sudeikis and uh, Adam Pally. Polly, Pally, however you say it. Uh, and, and they're basically shooting at this metal can on the side of the middle of nowhere, and they cannot hit it, and they're like five feet away. Yeah, stormtroopers. I think you said Mandalorian. So it's storm, oh, yeah. it's stormtroopers cannot yeah. hit yeah, anything. Yeah. yeah, no, that plays completely right into it. That was great. I mean, it's a little fun moment, obviously, with yeah. the severity of the actions going on. And then, obviously, when they are departed, the child comes in and just completely wrecks house mm-hmm. with IG-11 to buy them some time. And during this uh, escape from the bar, as they're going into the sewers, the Mandalorian is hurt in this. Mm-hmm. And this is where we find out a little story about the helmet and what this, you know, the symbolic meaning is and how Mandalorian is basically re- ready to die before he takes his helmet off to receive treatment from IG-11, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really cool idea from Favreau to do because IGN or IG-11 basically says, I'm a robot, I can't see you. I'm mm-hmm. not going to register this. Yeah. So at this point, the Mandalorian pops his, his helmet off and you see the face of Pedro Pascal. Mm-hmm. And you see, I mean, I thought the acting was very great in this because I think at this point you finally see some fear in him. Yeah. That he knows that his... Well, mid- emotion at all. Yeah, which, I mean, he's acted and his body language has really demonstrated that. But to see him actually like pull it off on face and see what he looks like, I thought was very telling too. Mm-hmm. as he's getting treatment for his head injury as he's hurt during the escape. So once he gets his helmet back on, he goes into the sewers, and they basically they find everybody that he knew that was in the underground Mandalorian camp is killed, mm-hmm. except for the armorer. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. That, I, that she survived because you would figure that her being the last one standing, that she'd be like almost like precog waiting for this attack. Mm-hmm. And you think that they would have something set up. So the fact that she was the last one I thought was interesting. And yeah. I was almost wondering if it was like foreshadowing something for next season. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So at this stage, she kind of gives the final rights to the Mandalorian and his team and basically says, take care of the child and, you know, return it to where he belongs mm-hmm. and gives him what I have to say. I marked out when I saw this moment, something that the mighty Boba Fett had, yeah. And that is what pad? A j- uh, jetpack. Hell yeah. Which is something that, remember, back to the first episode, saw them taking off and flying next to a ship, and he said, I got to get me one of those. Mm-hmm. And it worked out perfect, because now at this point, the the gr- the underground is just basically collapsing. Lava is now filling in, so yeah. they know that their trapped stormtroopers are waiting for them. And IG-11 does... A noble deed, dare I say. Sacrifices himself. Sacrifices himself. Yeah. So, obviously... And one of the more badass sequences I've seen all year. Oh, yeah. No, this moment definitely, when it happened, and he just basically said, my mission is over, and, mm-hmm. and basically is buying the time enough enough time to save the Team Yoda, or I mean, Baby Yoda and Team Mandalorian. 
takes out all the troopers. Mm-hmm. Team Mandalorian is ready to run. Yep. And then we see Gideon with a TIE fighter. Because, of course. Reasons. Wasn't mad at all. No. And then you see the fight, which was just completely badass in its own right, uh-huh. of Gideon and the TIE fighter, Mandalorian with a jetpack. Yep. And dare I say, when he latches on, is like almost going complete Fast and Furious rock holding the, yeah. the helicopter. Yeah. Suspend belief. It's just yeah. Star Wars. I, I figure Baby Yoda was helping him with the Force. That's how I'm Maybe. justifying that. Cool action scene. Yeah. But the Mandalorian uses the jetpack to stop the TIE fighter mm-hmm. and crash it. Seemingly. Seemingly. And at this stage, Team Mandalorian gets the hell out of Dodge, as they are smart to do. And then we are left with one final shot for the episode to wrap Mm -hmm. up episode eight. Pad, do you want to break down what you saw? Yeah, so much like with anything Star Wars or anything, you know, in film or TV, unless you see a body, they ain't dead. And that was the first thing I was saying after that ship crash and they were getting ready to walk away. I'm like, we didn't see a body. He ain't dead. And sure enough. You see the wreckage of the TIE fighter uh, sitting there and what pokes through but a black blade, that being the Darksaber. Now, I won't get into the long history. If you really want to look up the history of it, uh, just YouTube, Google Darksaber uh, Star Wars Wiki and you'll find out a, a whole long article. But essentially what it is, is it is a black bladed lightsaber created by uh, Tara Vizsla, which uh, is the ancient descendants of one of the characters we saw in episode one confronting the Mandalorian, who was the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi Order uh, prior to about a thousand years before the original movie. So this thing's got some history. Uh, It was first introduced, I know, in an episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. It's shown up in Star Wars Rebels, uh, which takes place before episode uh, four. And So I'm kind of wondering at this point, and and I'm sure we'll get an explanation next season of how in the hell it ended up there because if you've mm. watched uh clone wars and rebels you kind of know its lineage and its history and how it ended up where it is to a point we have no idea how it got there at least not yet no definitely not and i think it ends with that moment just really resonates with fans oh yeah it's a totally awesome moment for fans like myself who've seen the animated series and you go oh my god i know what that is and then you've got the fans who might not know what it is going oh that looks awesome oh it looked all i mean for me I, it looked awesome i did not really know what it was and then doing the history i'm like okay this is gonna get really interesting because mm-hmm. going into season two and we know season two is coming out when uh 2021 i believe it's it's late or early 2021 yeah i think if not well, at this rate, it might be a fall 2020. Yeah. So we're going to kind of have to wait and see on that. Yeah, and then the other interesting thing we got with the episode, though, was uh, we got a little bit more of a backstory on Kara Dune. No, break it down for yeah, us. Yeah, of course. So we knew she was a shock trooper, and they kept saying shock trooper, shock trooper, shock trooper. Uh, interestingly enough, she was a former Republican shock trooper. So think of what the Empire was before the Empire, uh, and that her planet of origin was one Alderaan. Ooh, now that is definitely tying it back to the history. Mm-hmm. Mandalorian Season 2 is out in the fall 2020 that is okay. officially released. Yes. So that being said, Pad, final thoughts on Season 1 of The Mandalorian? Uh, great series, great season. Wish it was a couple episodes longer, but I'm not mad about it. Uh, great action, great acting, and I, you know the bar is set very high. I cannot wait to see what they come with for Season 2. For this being the first shot out of the gate for Disney+, Plus, they hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Everything that you want to think about Star Wars is in this. There's action. There's high-stakes drama. There's a little bit of comedy, well-placed. And you get back to the battle of good versus evil, what wins out. The Force versus 
the the empire essentially. Mm-hmm. Now, albeit though, you have a character that is kind of multi layered in this, and I think that always works well in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian came in, and nobody really knew what he looked like except the man, the myth, the legend, Boba Fett's clone. It turned out it was definitely not. Borrowed a lot of elements, but he has carved his own niche in the Star Wars mythos. Where his character is going to go for a season two is anybody's guess. But you have to figure it can't go on forever. I'm not saying it's going to be done after season two, but how far can you go on the story when this character has never been mentioned in episodes seven, eight, and nine? So this is wide open history that John Favreau and company can carve their own path. Mm-hmm. They've done an excellent job creating a pulp culture phenomenon mm-hmm. in one baby Yoda, which nobody saw coming. No. And they have established other characters, such as Gina Carano's, such as Carl Weathers, and Giancarlo Esposito's. We don't know where it's going to happen after this. It is possible that we'll see the one and only Boba Fett appear in in Season 2, which I fully think is going to happen. I'm still holding out hope. I thought the the only way they could end Season 1 is have Boba pick up. No, they topped it. The, the bounty, but they did. They topped it. They topped one. it. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in Season 2. But overall, it is worth watching. It's a short watch of eight episodes. Yeah. Not too long. You can definitely get caught up quick. And if you've canceled Disney+, Plus, you might want to renew it because they are moving up show dates very, very soon. They've already moved up WandaVision. I thought Mandalorian was coming out in early 2021, but apparently it has now moved up to fall 2020. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to miss out on that when it comes out. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH, Mandalorian Season 1. What was your thoughts? What did you like? What did you not and let us know. We definitely want to have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is RJ, Ash, Ray, Brandon, Harrison, and Bronson. We host a Dungeons & Dragons podcast called Realms and Nerds. Some highlights of our show include wreaking havoc in every town we visit, blowing up hot tubs, killing off fan-favorite characters, high necromancers, inappropriate wedding etiquette, and every now and then, actually good storytelling. Join us in the realms of Pridea for fun fantasy adventures. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or just about wherever you get podcasts. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad has a certain show that he's a very big fan of. Uh-huh. He binged through the entire season. Yep. He is going to try convincing me to really jump on this. Lost in Space. Yes. Now, the reboot has come out on Netflix. Yep. This is now season two. This is infinitely better than the film they did in the late 90s. Okay, so break it down. What is the basis behind it? So Lost in Space is, of course, a reboot on the franchise that started way back in the in 1965, I want to say. Uh, has the approval of people who watched the original series, uh, and I can say that safely because when I was at the panel uh, for season two at New York Comic Con, they had a, a question and answer uh, portion. And one of the people who got up and asked a question that doesn't tie into what I'm referring to, but said to the cast in the 
the producer of the sh- one of the producers of the show that like he thanked them for it and said as someone who grew up watching the original series multiple times with friends and family it is a very good adaptation and a very good new kind of take on things uh and it started uh first came out uh season came out in 2018 to much critical fan fame uh, fanfare and acclaim i want to say it dropped and then within like a week uh the official twitter account said that they were doing season two which okay. was probably about the fastest I've ever seen for a show that like wasn't already greenlit for another season beforehand. Sure. So the premise of the show is that the show takes place in the year 2044, and it starts on Earth, and that an alien species has appeared before Earth and crashed into the planet. Uh, but the government, you know, not wanting to set a panic, has not said that, oh, aliens have crashed into the planet. They play it off as a meteor has crashed into Earth. And what has resulted is that it's a rapid deterioration. It's kind of like what happened with the dinosaurs, where like everything just went to absolute crap. And, you know, obviously the dinosaurs ended up dying out. But, hey, we're a little more advanced than they are. We know of a little planet we can get to that is, you know, basically another Earth, that being Alpha Centauri, which is way far away. Mm. Uh, And they are basically trying to transport the entirety of the human population across the universe, you know, to Alpha Centauri to live on Earth. And the story picks up with the 24th. Uh, colony group making their trek across the galaxy, across the universe to Alpha Centauri. Uh, and basically you, you go through, they take off and, and some antics ensue and they they crash land on a planet and things don't always quite seem how they should be. And, and it turns out, and I'm going to talk some spoilers because it's season one and it's out already, you know, it's out already. But the planet they crash land on, you know, it's surround, it's got a, an anomaly going on where like time increases more and more that they're sitting there and they're full of like some of the best scientists on earth and they can't figure out, okay, it took this long to get from spring to summer, this long to get from summer to fall and this long to get from fall to fall to winter. Why is that speeding up? Why is this going on? And come to find out the planet is on a sped up, uh, orbit. And that event, like if they don't get off ASAP, they're going to die. Mm-hmm. So they get off of the, they get off of the planet and it ends season. Season one ends with, uh, the main family in this show being the Robinsons, uh, played by Mar- Molly Parker plays the mother, Maureen Robinson, Toby Stevens plays the father, John Robinson, Maxwell Jenkins plays the youngest uh, child, uh, Will Robinson, Taylor Russell plays the adopted daughter, Judy Robinson. And then Mina Sundwall plays the, uh, middle child uh penny robinson okay uh so they're the robinsons the father is navy seals the mother is a very smart scientist the daughter is medically trained uh excuse me, i should specify uh judy robinson is medically trained she's she's got some experience she's interning uh will robinson is more of a uh, geography person or not geography uh what's the word uh interested in like rocks and earth and stuff like that uh and then you've got Penny Robinson, who's kind of, I don't want to say the black sheep of the family, but like she doesn't feel like she fits in that. She's not really smart or anything. She's not this. She's not that. But hey, she makes it work. Okay. So it ends in season. Uh, season one ends with the Robinsons in their spaceship trying to get back to the main spaceship uh, to journey on. But they run in again issues. They run in and they get sent through a wormhole to somewhere else in the galaxy. We don't. It ends. We don't see where they end up. They just go through the wormhole and just disappear. Season two picks up right about seven months after where season one ended and they're on a watery planet and, you know, they've been there for seven months and and they've grown a farm, you know, they're, they're growing corn and wheat and all this stuff and they're really making their living. 
and just they from there it's it's a continuous you know they're trying to get to alpha centauri trying to get to alpha centauri because that's the ultimate goal i think at one point in the show they say that the uh they're about a year behind schedule Mm. so at this point they think i think one of the robinson says well everyone on alpha centauri probably presumes we're dead by now since we're a year late okay that's a really interesting take on that yeah so they're you know they finally get off of that planet you know they're trying to find the robot you know you know danger will robinson danger you know he's gone missing so will's really gung-ho on finding him and they're also dealing with the continued machinations of probably for me the the most annoying villain i hate in all of anything i've read or watched is probably dolores umbridge from harry potter like i get voldemort is the big bad in harry potter i hate umbridge more than i hate voldemort really Uh uh-huh that's a hot take yeah so well it's not really a hot take a lot of people feel the same way uh but no you've got them dealing with the continued uh machinations of one parker posey playing dr smith if that's what you want to believe she is because She's very much a type of person that is very opportunistic, takes advantages of things, you know, when she sees them and is very good at convincing people to do things that she wants them to. Uh, there were times I want was watching season one. I wanted to reach through my screen and just absolutely slug her. Oh, you know, she's that annoying. And, and the actress, uh, Pat Parker Posey said it near comic, near comic con this year that she loves playing that part. Well, that, you, that she has a thrill. Well, you have to. I mean, if you're getting that kind of reaction mm-hmm. out, of, out of viewers, and that's what you want as a villain, you want to make everybody just go completely berserk. Mm-hmm. That you you want them so agitated that they kind of just want to that they want to reach through the TV. Yeah. No, I mean that's proven that they're doing one heck of a job with the role. Yeah, so they're dealing with that, and they're also being helped by their mechanic friend uh, Don West, played by Ignacio Sorecio. Uh, Cer- Apologies if I pronounce that wrong. And his chicken, Debbie. The chicken, Debbie, is very important. Okay. Uh, uh, Arguably MVP of the entire show. Uh, But so they're dealing with trying to get off the water planet and then all the the issues that ensue with that and trying to get the ship working because the ship doesn't have enough power. And then they finally get up to the to the, the resolute, the big ship they they are traveling to Alpha Centauri in. And then it's it's one thing after another, which I I will say. It's visually, it's uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. Story-wise, it's incredible. The only thing, and I know I said this with season one, that I have take issue with is that the constant, if anything can go wrong or might go wrong, it will and in the worst way possible. There's one point where the mother, Maureen Robinson, is outside of the ship. I won't go into spoilers on this because it's season two. And problems ensue. And the husband has to go out and save her. And, you know, he grabs hold of her uh, maintenance pod and they're trying to get back into the ship, but more problems ensue. So they're trying to get back to the Resolute, more problems ensue. You know, they get knocked around and by, again, blank, 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 because I'm not trying to spoil it. And, you know, he goes to try and save her because she has no fuel in her pod. And so she's falling to the, you know, they're on a gas planet and she's falling through and, and, the, and he's trying to save her. But all the meanwhile, he's flooring, you know, the accelerator, you know, if you think like your acceleration in your car, he's flooring this pod to the point where like his foot pedal to the metal and he saves her. And in my head, I'm thinking, all right, what'd you do with your fuel reserves? Yeah. And he burned almost all his fuel reserves. So that like my one issue with the show is it's great. It's an awesome story. It's well acted. The visuals are incredible. Just the constant, if something can go wrong, it will go wrong in the absolute worst way possible, does get a little long in the tooth. Well, do you think they're trying, really just trying to do that just to amp up the drama with it? Maybe. And, and I think it's also maybe trying to show that, like, with some series like Star Trek Next Generation, I can speak to because I've seen all of that, or maybe even some of the Star Wars ones that, like, space travel isn't as 
convenient, as easy as it might have been made out to be with with some other series and franchises that, all right, it's not as simple as like, okay, you plot in where you want to go, you push a button and you get there. Mm. That like in in a universe of infinite possibilities and infinite, you know, situations and and factors where something can go wrong, stuff will go wrong. Yeah. And and I like that about it. But like I said, there are times where it's like, all right. You know, the, at one point, the mother's like, I can't, I can't steer it. I can't steer it, referring to her maintenance pot. And I'm like, all right, listen, I know we, we know that your pot is out of, out of fuel and you're tumbling through the middle of nowhere. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a minor thing, though. Well, it's a minor thing, but they want to really make sure that they're establishing that there's something going wrong. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're lost in space, it can't just be like, oh, yeah. we're lost. What do we do now? Yeah. And trying, you know, really trying to carve their own niche, I guess. Mm-hmm. I could understand that extra drama. Yeah. So then you, so then you do with okay, you deal with a bigger villain and more evil and than you know Doctor Smith, and I won't spoil it because again, season two just came out, you know. But it, it truly shows that like you think you know somebody, you think they have good intentions, you know, but you quickly learn that not everybody has the best intentions. Some people have ulterior motives, and they're very willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to get those intentions done Hmm. and some of the lengths some of the characters go to are very questionable morally uh also ethically you know and and just some what they're willing to do and sacrifice and this and that where the robinsons are you know they almost get painted as at one point they say the robinsons are like have they they have a hero complex that like they may go out of their way to try and be a hero where they not necessarily don't need to or they might even go so far as to create some of the situations there's one point where the robot goes missing uh, again in season two. They spoiler alert. They find him. Obviously, you know, he goes quote unquote missing again and they try painting it as, Oh, there's nothing wrong with the robot. They're just trying to kidnap him and hide him and act like there's something wrong so that they can be the heroes and make themselves look good around everybody. Not the case, but that's how they're getting painted. Hmm. You know, it's, it's a very interesting take, you know, mutiny gets involved at one point and then you get to the final two episodes, which are, arguably some of the best final two episodes I've seen in a series up there with the Mandalorian, I would say for me anyway. Uh, and I won't spoil it. There's a, it's insane what happens. And it's one of those, like I suspended all disbelief and I was fully involved and the cliffhanger they leave with is, I would say bigger than the one they did in season one. Okay. It, you know, the spoiler alert, they don't get to alpha Centauri because well, that'd be the end of the show. But if you watch through and you kind of pay attention and you follow with what's going on, they find something and I almost wanted to stop the show and Google what it was. Cause I thought it might've been a callback to the original series or something. And I'm glad I didn't, you know, but they, they find something and uh, one of the main characters, one of the Robinsons explains what it is and what might entail with them finding this. And uh, my jaw was on the floor and I had to like take my earbuds out and go, Oh my God. Really? Uh huh. It's huge. I really hope they do a season three. They haven't announced yet if they're going to do a season three. I would imagine they are, but it's a fantastic show that I cannot recommend enough. No, that's some high praise coming from you about this because mm-hmm. this show. I mean, when I first heard about it, I'm not the craziest person about remakes. Sure. So I I kind of went in this with a little guarded um, reservation. I mm-hmm. guess I haven't started it yet. Yeah. I know you sing the praises of it. Mm-hmm. And obviously meeting the cast a little bit down in New York Comic Con like you did. Yeah. Only uh, enhanced the fandom. You got some little stories on that? No, yeah. So uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the panel for season two of Lost in Space. Like, there, if there was one thing circled on my list of things I wanted to go to at New York Comic Con, this was it. Because I loved season... I loved it so much that when... 
uh, a family member of mine, uh, their two year old, their son was turning two years old. Uh, and I was going down to long Island, New York to, uh, go to their birthday party. I had three episodes left on the series and I forget how long the drive was down there, but I downloaded all three episodes for the drive down so that I could finish it. And I watched all three episodes right then and there on the first ride, first way down. Like not, I didn't finish it on the return trip back one way down, finish the entire thing. You know, so I was very much invested. I was so psyched that they were doing a season two. So when they said that, oh, hey, we're going to be at New York Comic Con doing a panel, I was like, done, sold, went and got my badge uh, tagged so that I could get into the panel. Not that it mattered much. I mean, we talked about that in the yeah, we talked about that in the, on past. the, on the, in the past. But I was fortunate enough uh, to go get into that panel, and they would show uh, the first trailer for the show, which wasn't aired on the web or on the net or anywhere. So we got to see exclusive look at that. Almost the entire cast was there. Uh, Molly, uh, Maureen Robinson, John Robinson, or not, excuse me, Maureen Robinson, Will Robinson, Judy Robinson, Penny Robinson, uh, Don West, and Dr. Smith were all there. Uh, Also the mother, the three kids, the mechanic slash pilot, and then the evil, you know what were there. Mm -hmm. Uh, They introduced a few new cast members that were, are in the show. uh, But the only one who unfortunately was not there was Toby Stevens, the father. Uh, He was off filming something else, but he had a message for everybody. That was really cool to see. That's cool. But the awesome part of it was, I was kind of hoping that like we'd get to see the first episode that like they might show. And but and they get up there, and the producer goes, "How would you all like to see an exclusive first look at the episode?" And the entire room goes nuts. And you know, he goes, "Well, there's a catch with this. You know, we're not just going to give it away for free here. It's going to be in a super secret, unknown location. And here's how you do it." And they held a contest, you know, quote unquote contest, where you had to find the robot and get your picture with the robot. And everyone was going, oh, I know where that is. I know where that is because, as Ken, you can attest to, uh, surrounding one of the entrances to the uh, vendor portion of New York Comic Con was a giant, you know, panorama doorframe looking thing advertising Lost in Space Season 2. Yep. And there was a robot statue next to one of the portions of the entrance. So everyone was thinking it was that one. And uh, Maxwell Jenkins, who plays Will Robinson, got up and was explaining. He goes, listen, you might think you know where the robot is, but it's not the one you're thinking of ruling out that statue so he goes if you go to any of our social medias facebook twitter instagram you will see a clue a series of clues over the next couple of minutes as to where you can find it he goes but i'm going to give you a, a super secret extra extra special one he goes if i were a betting man i would go look in a lounge and we're like and i was there with a friend and a, you know i we were trying to think we're like we're a lounge sci-fi lounge. or yeah. we, we thought sci-fi lounge or the uh cosplay lounge that they had so we went all the way up to the cosplay lounge didn't see anything uh, turned around and came back down the stairs and we saw a setup there that wasn't there before. And we're like, Oh, this looks like it might be something. Cause it was like the, kind of like the, the rope queue thing you might see at a, a store, like at a JC Penney's or something like that. And we're like, Oh, this looks like it might be something. And there's a handicap elevator right there that I know you've seen. Mm-hmm. And they had that blacked off. Like it was like a, not like black paper or black paint, just like a, a curtain, a type, curtain on it, curtain type thing. And you hear the uh, you hear like a elevator and a sci-fi show start coming up, and you hear the theme music start playing, and we're like, oh, think something's going on. Mm. And then you hear the the music stops, and you just hear Danger Will Robinson, and the robot comes out, and the entire cast is there. And I'm like, oh, that's. And they're like, all right, hey, if you get your picture taken with the robot here, you know, we'll use your phones. We'll give you a thing where it'll give you the location of where you can watch uh, the first episode of season two. So I got my picture taken with the robot, and the awesome thing was uh, Maxwell Jenkins was standing there along with the rest of the cast, and Maxwell Jenkins, Will Robinson, was like, hey, why don't I jump in on the photos? 
Yeah, that's cool. So I got my photo taken with uh, Maxwell Jenkins, a.k.a. Will Robinson, and then the robot. Gave out the location uh, for where the first episode of season two was going to be, but unfortunately I was not able to go because it was taking place at the exact same time as the Dawn of X uh, panel was taking place. Plus the location, and I can say this now because, well, the season's out and it's well past when this was. If I'm not mistaken, the uh, the location of the episodes was like in the Cavern of Americas or something, like way uptown. And I was yeah. like, yeah, there's no way I'm getting there. It's a little bit of a hike, and plus, yeah, we had Dawn of X. Uh-huh, where we, I almost got thrown out. Yeah, that's that's a good story, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe we'll have to get on Patreon wall for that one. Yeah. But overall, though, Pad, so highest recommendation you can give? Highest recommendation, if you were a fan of sci-fi shows, you know, you like a little science fiction, you like a little space, you like, you know... Even if you're not the biggest sci-fi fan, you kind of like it, you enjoy it, you like a little Star Trek, you like a little Star Wars, or anything sci-fi, I would highly recommend it, because there really aren't that many good, I was thinking about it the other day, there aren't that really really many good sci-fi shows out. Like, in terms of, like, and I'm not talking in terms of, like, Star Wars or Star Trek, like, you know, where you gotta spend, suspend a lot of disbelief, where this one plausibly could happen if you've, a lot of factors went into it, and, you know, such. But no, I highly recommend it. Would you say this is more important to watch than The Witcher? Let me throw you on the spot about that. Um, no, because I would. It, it it's kind of like a one one ace type scenario. Okay, no, that's fair. Where they're both amazingly good, but in their own ways. Okay, so Lost in Space just came out, season two. Yep, Netflix. There is going to be some time because right now is kind of a little quiet time mm-hmm. to get caught up on some shows. Crisis on Infinite Earth doesn't come back for another couple of weeks. Yep. And obviously, Birds of Prey, I think, is the first movie kicking off 2020 for the comic fans. I think so. So we'll kind of have to wait and see, but it's a perfect time to jump right in for Netflix and check out Lost in Space. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH, Lost in Space. Are you watching it? Are you not? And why? We definitely want to have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. feel overwhelmed by the avalanche of titles available every week in the theaters and on streaming services? Do you struggle with justifying the increasing cost of movies at the theater or whether to pick up another streaming service? Well, I have a resource for you. One Movie Punch. Your movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies. One movie per day, every day. We track the theaters, streaming services, and the occasional physical release to find the best movies currently available. We watch every film, then distill it into a short three to five minute review and publish a daily podcast. And now with year two, we've gone spoiler free for all movies within the last three years and bringing on a team of reviewers with brand new perspectives and selections. Want more information? Head over to www.onemoviepunch.com to subscribe to the daily podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Movie Punch and Facebook at www.facebook.com slash One Movie Punch. We'll see you there. Coming back for segment number three on this edition of the ODPH podcast. First one of 2020. Mm-hmm. So Pat and I thought we should recap 2019 yep. very shortly. 
a year of memories, yeah. a year of a lot of good. Really good year at the box office, I would say. Yeah, I would definitely say that, too. A lot of bad, too, in uh. its own perspective. <laughs> so we're just going to break it down by the three categories that we talk about on the show here. Mm-hmm. We talk movies, we talk TV, and we talk comics. Yep. So, Pad, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. You want to talk movies? What stands out for you in 2019? Well, obviously, I mean, the elephant in the room, you know, so to speak, is Avengers Endgame. The end of the uh, Infinity Saga, as it were, the sprawling, what was it, 22, 23? I forget. Uh, Film buildup that was leading to Avengers Endgame and the ultimate... It's funny. I was thinking about it the other day, you know, how after we saw Infinity War, I was really hoping for, you know, a big, big battle where all the characters are fighting together and I just had to wait a year. You know, leading to that and just how good that was and just, you know, as many moving parts as they were. Because I remember one of the funny things was when we were building up to this and we obviously had no idea where this was going. That I remember one of the conversations, you at least you and I having, where they were announcing who all was going to be in uh, Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the, con- I don't even know if it was concerns, but questions we had was, were they going to be able to pull this off? That it was a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of characters that need a fair amount of screen time. Was it going to be able to work? And we and I remember we came out of it going, you know what? They can pull it off. They can do it. And then, and you look at what they did for Infinity War and then Endgame. You know, they just kind of tripled it or quadrupled it. You know, so obviously Endgame is one that sticks out for me. Rise of Skywalker is obviously another one that you know sticks out for me. The the end of the Skywalker saga. You know, but it was also full of some interesting ones. You know, I never thought I'd get to see a Dragon Ball Super movie in theaters. That you know, I've been a fan of the series since it first debuted way back in in the U.S. in '97. I want to say, you know, and and I remember waking up on school because it, it's interesting when later uh, episodes came out. It was right after school, so that was like the thing you're talking about the next more day at school. But I remember when it was first coming out, it was like super early in the morning, like six or seven in the morning or something absurd like that and it was like on one of the odd channels you wouldn't expect it to be on but i just remember oh it's this time i gotta go watch so getting to finally watch you know because i know they've done some other recent films for you know uh battle of gods and then resurrection f but neither of those were showing in a drivable uh area for me so getting to see a dragon ball super movie on the big screen was definitely a dream come true yeah i definitely have to say i mean this year for movies at the box office Endgame took everything. Yeah, and I gotta say this, I because I, I, I'd like to keep a little diary, if you will, of films I saw this year and, and what day oh, I, I what day I saw them on. I I think this year might have been the most films I've ever seen in a calendar year. Now this is without keeping any other years. I saw twenty three movies this year. That's not bad. It's it's a lot, you know. For everything from Dragon Ball Super at the start of the year to seeing Knives Out, which I highly recommend. Still in theaters, amazing movie. Uh, on the twenty eighth of uh, December, great movie. Yeah, I mean, for me, like I said, Endgame took it. I mean, to see where the MCU came out with Iron Man yeah. in 2008 yeah. and really made a point to put the stamp on the 20-plus movie saga. Yeah. I mean, what can you really say about that movie that hasn't been said? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the king still of the box Still making office. money, I think? It's still going to make money, and I guarantee when Avatar comes out, No, because I think it's still, in some, uh, it's still in some theaters in China, oddly enough. And it's still making money, so that because I saw an article, I want to say it was either yesterday or the day before, where it's now a solid like three million dollars ahead of uh, Avatar. 
in, in the all-time rankings. Like I said, and especially when Avatar 2 comes out, because I know Cameron said he wants to beat it, uh, don't don't doubt Disney re-releasing it to theaters. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it at the same token, because, well, let's be honest, it will have been over 10-plus years since anyone saw the last one. Mm-hmm. I own the copy, and I haven't seen it in 10-plus years. You know, but at the same token, I don't know if, if the sequel will be able to beat Endgame. I don't think it will. I think the window has shut on that. Oh, yeah. No, I'm with you there. I don't like I think the luster of Avatar and what made people really mark out about it is the revitalization of 3D at the movie theater. Well, and I think part of the the magic and the luster was definitely 3D, but I think it was also unlike anything visually that we had seen to that point. And I'm not just talking 3D. I'm just talking like the way it looked, the way it was shot, the way it was presented, everything about it, not just 3D. But what was unique and special then is commonplace nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for every, you know, Avatar was kind of like, a, you know, a one of its kind movie at the time that like there was nothing else that looked like it visually. You kind of like close your eyes, spin in a circle and throw a stone and you're going to hit a movie that is visually like it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that's why I think Avatar 2 is not going to do as well. No, it'll do all right. It'll but do it all right. It won't do as well. It's not going to do as well. But this year for comics, though, and movies, I mean, such a strong year. Mm-hmm. And dare I say, one of the biggest movies to come out that doesn't get a lot of praise, and I'm going to quote Ron from 3FN, mm-hmm. Shazam! <laughs> Shazam, I thought, was one of the best movies to come out all year. Oh, yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah. I mean, obviously, to take the character of Shazam and bring it to the big screen was a gamble. Mm-hmm. Especially when those who aren't real well-versed in comics might be sitting there going wait isn't that the movie they did in the 90s with Shaquille O'Neal right but see Zachary Levy come out and really put his stamp on it and really drive home the essence of Shazam which like I say it's big meets Superman Mm -hmm. but he does it so well and really brought the DC you know movie universe I don't know what you want to exactly call it the DC movies yeah they brought that movie brought it back to where you really get inspired by heroes Mm mm-hmm Aquaman did its thing. Don't get, yeah. don't get it wrong to close out the in 2018. But for me, Shazam was such a strong movie in that sense when it came out because we all knew the Snyderverse was very dark, very brooding. Very messy. Very messy. I mean, it's very polarizing amongst fans, and you can definitely have another conversation with somebody else there, about there's that. There's a certain hashtag you can look up if you want to see some examples. I won't say what it is, but you know what it is. Right. To say that DC had a lot riding on this, but they really didn't. They took a shot with it. Shazam hit it out of the park. I'll say it also introduced, I guess I, you could say, a little more fun and a little more humor into the DC movies where, okay, yeah, there was some fun and humor with, with Aquaman and then uh, Wonder Woman, but this was, this felt like very natural, very, you know, not forced uh, humor where it, it's almost like if, if you were to put Shazam in a film with Aquaman and Wonder Woman, like Aquaman or Wonder Woman might knock out a, a villain and, and Shazam will just pop in going, oh my God, did you see his face? Yeah. No, this one was just so fun and I can't wait for the sequel to come yeah. out, which we know is coming. Yep. Um, and obviously Black Adam played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh-huh. is coming too. Oh Lord. That's going to be a fun, fun trilogy of movies when that is all said and done. Mm-hmm. And you have to take a look. Like I said, DC is slowly rebounding and kind of yeah. carving their own niche. Had one of the most controversial movies of the year. Yeah. Joker. Yeah. Which it really depends on your feeling of the character and what the what you took from that movie. Mm-hmm. Like I say, it took it from you know mentally ill man's perspective of reality. 
Yeah. And just you really see how mental illness is shaping somebody's world and very disturbing, very, uh, a very broad take on the character. Yeah, no, a very interesting one, but I think it was good for DC to take that risk and, and make an R rated Joker film because let's be honest, you know, they can't copy the Marvel method because then everyone will just kind of go, Oh, you're just copying Marvel. You can't do anything original. I think it was good for them to carve out their own niche and say, all right, listen, we're not going to try and do the, the happy go lucky, Marvel movie. We're going to have some of those movies. You know, those will be our, you know, kind of our main ones, you know, the Aquamans or the Wonder Woman's or the Shazams. But there's all that it's also showing that, okay, there's a market for because I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the movie made a billion dollars, if not more. It showed that there's a market for fans of these movies that like things a little more edgier, but not necessarily to the Deadpool end of the spectrum. That you want things maybe a little grittier, a little darker, a little more maybe realistic. I don't know who's to say that there's a crowd that will turn out for it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, this was a very broad reaction to it because I said they covered a lot in this Mm -hmm. movie. They covered mental health. They covered society. They covered how the personification of evil is formed in in somebody's eyes. I mean, because to know the character of the Joker and like I say, the fact that they tied it into the DC mythos Mm -hmm. is really depends on your take on it and and how you feel on it. I thought that it's a loose base person idea there's a lot of different ways you can go with it yeah i thought the movie was excellent um i mean it is what it is i mean i don't know if i'd exactly go rewatch it anytime soon no i mean i, I was talking with a friend and who saw it you know back when it first came out after a couple of days and he's like you know i'd p- kind of put it in some of those films where it's like okay you don't exactly put this on when you've got a group of friends over and you want to watch something you know it's, it's not just something you pull off the old bookshelf and, and throw in yeah it definitely has this piece of cinema, though. Yeah, oh, and, absolutely. And definitely carved, it, carved its own spot. So coming out of the shadow of Avengers Endgame, DC definitely had some moves. Mm-hmm. Marvel, though, had a strong year. Yeah. We, we can't take that away from it. Uh, obviously, Captain Marvel yeah. came out before Avengers Endgame. Recreating the 90s almost perfectly. Yeah, which it was to take in what it needed to be. It was a 90s origin set in the 90s yeah. and really kind of copied a lot, in my opinion, of the Marvel formula. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So they oh, did yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Far From Home obviously closed out that chapter of yep. the MCU. Albeit, though, with a little controversy, the Tom Holland, is he or is he not part of Marvel anymore? Yeah. Because Sony is pulling the rights. Yeah, and Tom Holland might have drunkenly spoken to Bob Iger. Well, there's no might have. He kind of confirmed he did. Yeah, which might be a blueprint to get some movies done. So for everybody call, talking about the Snyder Cut, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Sorry, I want to get Pat's reaction on that. And I would say, I mean, overall, it was a strong year for movies and a lot for the comic genre as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the films I'd say jumped out to me and kind of surprised me with how well it did was uh, Detective Pikachu. Because having grown up, you know, I don't I haven't continued. Pl- I used to play the games. I used to do the card games and watch the show, but I haven't in years. You know, when they first announced they were going to do a live action Pokemon movie, I was like, all right, how are you going to pull this off? Like. It's got that look. It's got the familiar look. Obviously, it's changed over the years as technology and, and animation and stuff has gotten in video game stuff has gotten better. But for live action, how are you going to pull this off? Like I, I was admittedly very skeptical, but seeing having seen the trailer, I was like, all right, this looks all right. This doesn't look bad. Well, saw the movie exceeded my expectations because it, it definitely showed that, you know, if they wanted to maybe put their toe in the water, maybe do a, a universe or a set of movies set with the Pokemon stuff, because if you're not a fan of the show and you're not, you know, you don't really like it. It's been going for 20 plus years. They're doing something right. You know, when I when I thought it was going to die out, it's still chugging along, you know, so that was definitely a surprise for me. Definitely was. You know, what can you really say about Pokemon? 
Yeah, it, it it's it stands the test of time. That I you know when I thought it was going to die out and maybe you know kind of fade away a little bit, it's still as strong as ever. Right, and obviously to end the year with though, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, a good ending. Yeah, not, not great in my eyes, but we can defer to disagree about this. No, oh, yeah, I, I, no, I thought it was a I thought it was a good ending. It, it was what it needed to be. You know, it didn't try and get too crazy or over the top or you know introduce some wacky wild element you know at the 11th hour like the final third of the movie you know it was what it needed to be so let me ask you this pad to close out the movies what was the worst movie of the year hellboy hands down uh i had a lot of hope and expectations for that film because as we said on a previous episode i think it was our comic-con recap not from this most recent trip but the one before that Mm -hmm. where we got into the panel of that and they showed the the trailer that never got aired anyplace else and you know, David Harbour and Daniel Day Kim and, and, the, and was there and, you know, they were talking to the director and, and the comic creator was there. They really sold me on it that admittedly, I'm not a Hellboy fan. I've mm-hmm. seen the Ron Perl. I saw the first Ron Perlman one. I saw part of the second one because it was on TV once and I enjoyed it. It was a, it was one of those movies that I kind of classify the original uh, Fantastic Four movies in that they're not great. I don't own them, but if they're on on a Saturday morning and I got some housework to do, I'm going to put it on for some background noise. You know, so they sold me on this film that it looked really friggin' good. And then we come and then the Rotten Tomatoes score drops and I'm like, oh, okay, this doesn't look great. And then we go into the movie and, you know, they were, we kind of had a rough idea what the budget was and we came out of it going, all right, where was the budget? That there were all these issues. I mean, Christ, there's one scene about maybe a quarter of the way through where uh, Hellboy is fighting these tree monster looking things. And he's and as everyone knows, if you Google Hellboy, he's got that giant fist on one of his arms. There's one shot or one part in that fight sequence where the visual effects people screwed up and put it on the wrong hand. And it's not a blink and you miss it type type of shot. Yeah, for me, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Yeah, that's a close one. I, I say it once, I'll say it again. Disney, please do not try doing the Dark Phoenix saga. I have faith they could do it. Maybe maybe introduce some elements, you know, here or there, but don't try and do it again. If you want to make it a saga to build up with 22 films like you did for Avengers Endgame, yeah. then maybe. But let this one go. I'm sorry. Just know everything about this. The trailer when it came out gave away way too much. Uh-huh. And, and the fact that they gave away Mystique's death and then didn't try playing it off or maybe misdirecting and saying, no, it's not her, whatever, you know, J.J. abrams it with uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. No, they just straight up, like, I remember that very vividly, that the trailer came out, and we're like, wait a minute, did that just confirm that Mystique gets killed? And the director was like, nope, yep, she's killed in the movie. Yeah, which... And we're like, oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, just everything about that. Yeah, definitely don't want to relive. Mm-hmm. One movie that you're excited to see in 2020? Well, I got three. I mean, the first one's kind of obvious. Obviously, No Time to Die, the final uh, James Bond film for Daniel Craig. How are they going to close that out? How are they going to cap off you know, his run, which is arguably, in my opinion, one of the better runs they've done uh, for an actor. You can certainly do worse. Uh, the other, Another one I'm certainly looking forward to is Godzilla versus King Kong. You know, the knockdown, drag him out, you know, two plus hour, however long this thing's going to be, uh, you know, fight between the King of Monsters and, and King Kong. 
that's going to be obviously something interesting to see. But then uh, coming uh, in uh, the third one that I think is going to be real interesting to see is Dune, uh, which is coming out in 2020. The cast list for this film is insane. This is uh, expected to come out in December of next year. Uh, it is directed by Dennis Villanueva, who uh, directed Blade Runner 2049. Arrival and Sicario. Uh, he also has a writing credit on it. Uh, also, uh, having helped written the screenplay is a gentleman by the name of Eric Roth, uh, who's probably most known for writing uh, Forrest Gump, uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and A Star is Born. Uh, it also has the help of uh, somebody with an MCU tie, interestingly enough, uh, that being John Spathes, uh, who helped write Prometheus way back in 2012, uh, Passengers, with Jennifer Lawrence and then Chris Pratt in 2016. And then he also wrote, helped write Doctor Strange. Hmm. Uh, and then you get the cast list of this film. The cast list of this film is absolutely bonkers. So you've got Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, Dave Batista, Javier Bardem, and Stellan Skarsgård. Wow. That is a super freaking awesome cast. I know it's based off a book. I've heard the book is very good. I have not had the chance to read it yet because, well, I got maybe four or five books for Christmas, so my reading list is really long right now. But I am super excited for this film to come out. Yeah, for me, I mean, obviously, you know, I got Black Widow circled on my calendar. Oh, yeah. I got Wonder Woman 84 circled. And I am going with something that's going to get announced next week. Oh, yeah? The New Mutants allegedly has been greenlit. I was going to wait for one-shots for this, but I want to see... The trailer, which is supposed to drop next week. Uh, January 6th, as we are being told. Yes. I want to see what the heck is going on with this film. Well, and, and we should note that it is the original cut of the movie, which if this is the cut I'm thinking of, this was the cut that didn't test well, that people were really confused by, and it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I know that somebody did ask uh, Josh Boone on one of his uh, social media accounts, I believe it was, it looks like it was Instagram, uh, where the person said, will this be the OG version of the movie you shot? To which he replied, quote, I wouldn't be promoting it here if it wasn't. Sold. I, I need to figure out what the heck was going on with this film. So mm -hmm. I, I'm thoroughly excited to see what's going to come out April 3rd. Yeah. Is the release date. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But I'm excited to see it. I think the interesting thing for this is not going to be because for a lot of people, the most interesting thing with the movie is, going to, is the Rotten Tomato score these days. Mm -hmm. I think the interesting thing to see is going to be the box office numbers for this because admittedly, this is still a Fox property that, you know, Fox before Disney owned them worked on. And we know the recent history with X-Men projects. So I think the interesting thing is going to be the uh, financial numbers, the box office numbers this makes, because Dark Phoenix left a little, real bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Oh, easily by far. So movies, definitely a great future going into 2020 and definitely a strong year in 2019. Yeah. So let's flip it to TV, shall we? Sure. What sticks out for you for 2019? Uh, obviously, the Disney Plus stuff coming with Marvel. I mean, you've got uh, Cap, or excuse me, Falcon and Winter Soldier coming out, uh, WandaVision coming out. You've got uh, Season 7 of Star Wars, The Clone Wars, you know, the final season, supposedly, you know, coming out on Disney Plus. So for me, it's, it's mostly on the streaming side. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited for, you know, part two of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths to come out and see how that goes. Obviously, I'm excited for Walking Dead and all that, but... Uh, it, it's really the Disney Plus stuff. They, you know, Witcher isn't coming out for season two until twenty twenty one. You know, it, who knows when Lost in Space season two is going to be or season three, excuse me, is going to be coming. You know, so for me right now, it's it's the Disney Plus stuff that they've got. You know, the original stuff. Uh, how about twenty nineteen? Uh, best thing of twenty nineteen, uh, Mandalorian. 
just I I had a lot of high expectations and I have a very high standard when it comes to Star Wars storytelling. You know, I'll call it out when something is bad and there are certain episodes of Clone Wars that are bad. I, I highly recommend the series, but just go in bearing in mind that there are some episodes that aren't that great. I mean, there's a couple episodes where there are just droids wandering through a desert. They're not great, but the series overall is great. So to see them come out and especially attach a name like John Favreau, where Iron Man one and, and everything he's done and just kind of the gravitas that comes with attaching his name to it that I'm like, all right, you're putting a lot of faith and a lot of, you know, quote unquote muscle into this show. Let's see you deliver. And they didn't just deliver. They knocked a home run out of the park. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you on that. Uh, I mean, Mandalorian was obviously awesome for 2019 uh, for me. Kind of a little different shows. Uh, obviously, we talked about this in February when it was coming out. Right. Doom Patrol versus Umbrella Academy and how great that was. Yeah. I mean, you know me and my love affair for Doom Patrol. I think it's the best thing on the DC Universe, bar none. Yeah. And obviously, when Umbrella Academy came out, a lot of hype behind it. We all knew when that show was announced that it could be a really big project. Mm-hmm. So... That was something that we were very excited to see come, and obviously it showed up and did yeah. what it needed to. Kind of flew under the radar a little bit, but it definitely served its purpose. Yeah. So obviously excited to see when season two comes out for that. I mean, that kicked off the year for me. Yeah, and like I say, the one uh, for 2020 I'm excited for, I almost forgot, season three of Westworld. Okay. Uh, season three of Westworld is coming out on HBO. Aaron Paul's going to be in this season. I've, I, we haven't seen anything since I think they debuted a trailer in last in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. back in February or whatever it was. So like we really haven't seen anything. So I'm super excited for that to come back. If you have a way to watch HBO, highly recommend it. Yeah, definitely. It's a bit of a trip, but it's a good trip. It's a trip, but it's worth checking out, though. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you also have to throw the boys in there as well from oh, Amazon. Yeah. yeah. That definitely served right up to the source material. Mm-hmm. Definitely not safe for work Yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Did its thing, though. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see where they go with season two. I'll say the other interesting thing I saw the other day, it's not necessarily one I'll watch, but it's, you know, something if you're into the music industry to watch that they announced on New Year's Eve, I want to say it is. Uh, Justin Bieber has like an original series coming out on YouTube for free, I want to say, where it essentially appears that he gave cameras like an all access to his life for like a year. Or something like that. So it's it's an interesting concept that like if you're into the music industry and want to maybe get a behind the scenes look at how things go. It seems from the uh, the trailer I saw watching some of the New Year's festivities on television that part of this was filmed when he was working on a, a new record or a new album. So definitely something to check out if you're in, into the music industry. Yeah, for me, I don't know if I would really check that one out. I wouldn't. I wouldn't personally just because I'm not a, a Bieber fan. But it was just something I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like YouTube's kind of like I know YouTube in the past has gotten into TV stuff, you know, TV stuff and and whatnot. But that that was behind a paywall. This it looks like is going to be on straight, just like you YouTube search it. Well, I mean, what you guys say is one of the most YouTube shows of uh, or searched out for the year. I'd say yeah, Str- Stranger Things three. I think so. That had to be up there as well. That was a big, yeah. another monster for Netflix for 2019. Yeah. Albeit, though, I think one of the biggest surprises, and I know I had a lot of reservations about it and just wrapped up, was Watchmen right. on HBO. Uh, I don't necessarily know if we needed that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I was happy with what we saw. I do not, I repeat, I do not want to see a season two. Have no desire about that. I mm-hmm. mean, I will probably watch, but I'm not excited by any. Sort well, that's of that's the thing. The uh, series, the show producer said that like there aren't any plans for a season two, but if people want one, they might do one. Yeah, they left the door open with that comment, and I'm like, no, just let it go. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm sorry, 
Watchmen should be left alone. They did do justice to the book. And note sure. how I word that. The book, not sure. the movie. Sure. With this series. And I thought Regina King's character, Sister Knight, was the best thing on this show, period. Bar none. Mm-hmm. I don't think they need to try topping it. Because you have to be better than the season you just had. I don't think they can. I'm not giving it as a challenge. Right. I just think that Watchmen has served this purpose. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Let it go off into the sunset. For whatever reason you want to do this one, okay, cool. But enough said. I mean, it's great, but yeah. I think, though, they definitely could have just left enough alone. So let me ask you this, Pat. Mm-hmm. Worst series of 2019. Uh, I don't know if I really have one. Like, There wasn't anything I necessarily watched. And I was like, God, I wish I hadn't watched that. Like I, because I, I tend to be very picky and choosy when it comes to television series, and you know, I'll give, I'll, I'll watch what looks good to me, and I'll avoid what kind of jumps out to me. I mean, there were certain aspects of some of the shows I watched. I'm like, all right, it's not that great, but it wasn't any one thing. I guess I could look back and go, God, that was awful. Yeah, for me, I guess I would have to say maybe Punisher season two. Yeah, but I don't want to say worse. I guess I thought yeah. I was just kind of let down by it. Yeah, a little bit just because. I think it kind of got off track. I honestly forgot that came out last year. Well, think about it. The MCU retired from Netflix this year. Yeah. Went out with a bang with Jessica Jones. Yeah. Didn't think it was the best thing ever, but I think it was an improvement from season two. Yeah. I I guess looking back and now realizing that all those were last year, I'd have to say the final two, you know, Jessica Jones and Punisher on Netflix that like as good as season one of Punisher was and how, you know, pushing the boundaries it was and just you didn't think they'd do it. And I get that it's behind a paywall and it's on Netflix and it's streaming and it's not traditional cable, but there were certain things in season one that I'm thinking, my God, I never thought they'd be allowed to put that on film. You know, just it felt like almost a little bit of a step backwards for Punisher season two. Yeah, I think it was a little step back and I think Game of Thrones was a letdown too. Yeah, I honestly blocked that last season out of my mind outside of the ending. You know, it was as much that was built up about it and by some of the folks that be that, oh, each episode's like a movie. It's an epic. It's a this, it's a that. It you know, felt like the balloon get arrogant let out of, a, out of a balloon. Yeah, it definitely was a letdown in that in that aspect. But I think they just got up to such a point, and obviously Martin didn't have the books done in time, so they kind of mm-hmm. took the, the ideas and ran with it, and I think it just ran in off the tracks. Yeah. No way you can say about that. Um, what are you looking most forward to in 2020? Let's just recap that again. Uh, looking most forward to in 2020, got to be the – stuff on disney plus like i said the you know captain or falcon and winter Soldier. see i keep wanting to call him captain he's got the shield but he doesn't have the title yet uh falcon and winter soldier series that's gonna be very interesting you know to see is kind of the first post end game and i i would say official post end game stuff because i realize uh far from home is technically post end game but doesn't really feel it you know uh mm-hmm. see the first post end game content you know, see where things are going, see what happens. And, and you know, obviously WandaVision. I think the fact that they are they moved it up from when they did is a very telling sign that, you know, something big is going to happen in that. And it might even tie in to some of the films that are coming around out around that time. You know, or to, don't forget, Eternals comes out uh, around that same time of year. Comes out in November, I want to say. And uh, I don't think they haven't given a date for WandaVision, but it's coming out in fall 2020. Fall 2020 falls in that time period of when Eternals is coming out. Don't be surprised if they do something like Mandalorian where they have an episode or release it right around the time of the film. Well, it would be a smart play for Disney Plus and Marvel to do, so I I wouldn't doubt that per se. Yeah. I guess for me, I'm looking more forward to in 2020, the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. Obviously how the Arrowverse and CW has evolved and left us with that cliffhanger ending going into the two episodes coming back in January. Mm -hmm. I think I'm excited to see. 
I'm excited to see the season two of Doom Patrol. I want to see where they go with this. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with it being on HBO Max as well. Yeah. And what that show or streaming service rather is going to bring. Um, very excited to hear more news about the Green Lantern show. Yeah. Because I think a lot of different directions can play off it. I wonder if we'll see a little surprise hint of it maybe in uh, Crisis. Maybe. Maybe because Greg Bertinelli is responsible for all things CW and DC on the network. So we'll have to wait and see about that. And I'm also waiting to see the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's going to be very interesting. Yeah, especially with Kevin Feige saying that is the show now not part of canon? Is it? Yeah. Is it kind yeah. of just left up in the air? I mean... It, it's honestly kind of pulled some of the wind out of my proverbial sail with the final season. It has too, but... And, I, and, and honestly, with like all the, you know, Jeff Loeb's Marvel TV stuff getting canceled, it almost feels akin to when, you know, we got the final season of... Well, well what got canceled first? Was it Iron Fist? Yeah, Iron Fist got canceled I first. got first, and then, you know, and then the next one got canceled. And, it, like, by the time you got to the third one getting ready to come out, we're like, all right, well, the first two got canceled. This one, like it all, it's almost got that same feel to it. Where like, I'm not entirely sure I want to see it. Well, I think I want to see it just because I've gotten this far. And yeah, and, that's true. And for me, with the amount of time we go to New York Comic Con, I know we reference that a lot, but that's a staple for us here at the ODPH. Mm-hmm. That panel has always been one of the first ones I've ever gone to, and to see the growth over the years and the friends we've made down there. Uh, obviously, just to get this far and to see how they end it. Obviously, time travel is going to get a little crazy, mm-hmm. and maybe with nothing to fall back on for another season, the writers can really kind of flex some muscle, kind of like how Arrow did. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see how that plays out. Yeah, like, and I am also forgot to mention, I'm also excited for season seven of Clone Wars because supposedly it's the last season. With Star Wars, you never know. But it'll be interesting to see where they go just because I remember some of the rumors and, and stories that were coming out about after the show ended with season six on Netflix about where they would have gone, that the show would have gone into a post revenge of the Sith time period. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting to see what they, because the, if you pay attention to some of the visual cues on the show, as the series season progresses season one, very close to attack of the clones episode two. Uh, and then you go to kind of where they ended in season six and just the way things look and how things are visually very close to episode three, Revenge of the Sith. So it's going to be very interesting to see where they go and what they tie in and maybe make some connections to the third film, the Star Wars uh, film franchise. Fair enough. And to wrap this segment up, we got to talk a little comics. Now, I was on the year end edition of Cheers to Comics. Shout out to Brian. Uh, we tore through a ton of topics he did on Twitter in the poll. So I already have my vote, but let me ask you your favorite comic moment of the year. Uh, I would have to say the entire run they did with the the Star Wars, um, I don't even know what you call it, the Age of series, the Mm. the one shots where they did the prequels, the original trilogy, and then the sequels. Some better than others. You know, the Tarkin one, you can skip that one. Not going to lie, there's there's a moment in there that I didn't want to see, didn't need to see, but it happened. You know, but then there are other ones that are that are really great. Like you know, they had the Qui Gon Jinn one one shot. So uh, probably the Age of books that they did. Uh, I guess you can say three words: House of X. Yeah. Uh, for me, obviously, that was a big event. Rich uh, from Three FN actually called it when I, I got an impromptu on their show this week um, about the biggest moments of 2019 because I was not even thinking comics, but I was like, the minute you say comics, I'm like, yeah, House of X redefined the entire X universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so brilliantly written. 
and left the door wide open that nothing is off limits. Mm -hmm. And by far and away, X-Force is the best book out on the line right now. Marauders is a close second Mm -hmm. to see Kitty Pride as the new Wolverine of that X-Universe is something special. And to flip it on the DC side, uh, for me personally, Last Night on Earth, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo's last Batman story for now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Finished on a strong note, Doomsday Clock was a wild ending that has redefined a lot, uh, Mm -hmm. opened the door for a lot more possibilities. And like I say, that one little blurb in the comic has got my attention. It might be a throwaway line, but if that comes true... Yeah, we're going to have a lot to discuss on the show about that. Oh, I bet. Um, Nothing really, like, I I guess I didn't really read anything too bad, and I don't like putting anybody down for doing their creative work. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say there really wasn't anything bad, but um, if you are looking for something to pick up in the new year, 2020, definitely get down to your local comic book shop, hit up everybody who's working there, ask for their opinion. For me, obviously, and I think Pat will agree with this, Batman Catwoman. Yeah. Tom King's final swan song on Batman has got my attention, and Ben Piercy's Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be some spot-on books this year that we know of thus far. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on the hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about 2019 as we close it out, as we start 2020? What was your favorite moments, TV, movie, and comic-wise? What wasn't? We definitely want to have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Our history, though short, is wrought with events that transform our existence. Locked away and hidden within sacred vaults exists a treasure trove of events, inventions, and stoic occurrences hoping to shine once more. These gems have many facets. Some shine like beacons of hope and others are dim with warnings of future transgressions. Sometimes history is easily accessible and this is the history that we know by teachings. But what of the history that we were never taught? Sometimes we must act as thieves to steal the locked treasures of history and find out what secrets lie beneath. Join us as we pick the locks, open the hidden artifacts, and bring these treasures back from whence they came. Only on Ransack History, presented by Sounded Heart. Hey, this is Josh. And this is Tyler, and we are the 30 and Nerdy Podcast. And right now, you're listening to our boys, Ken M., Padawan J., and Coach Duffy, over at the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this 2020 first edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Well, one-shots are kind of a branch off of our last segment, something else you should look forward to, something I am very excited for, and that is we're real, real close to part one of the Final Fantasy VII Remake coming out. Uh, That comes out, of course, I believe in March 3rd of this year. Uh, There's some spoilers, leaks that leaked onto the internet, so uh, if you're a fan of the game and you're trying to avoid you know, seeing anything or getting spoiled by anything. Cause I have read that they might've made some changes to the story or some of what takes place from the original. Uh, definitely be careful, but that is obviously something I am very much looking forward to that launches like, yep. March 3rd on uh, this year on the PlayStation four, uh, it might come to additional platforms in 2021. Uh, you know, it's going to feature a new boss fight alongside remakes of the classic ones, as well as new characters. So, you know, it's gonna be real interesting to see obviously final fantasy seven, one of, if not the most beloved, video games of all time frequently listed in you know top five top three favorite video games of all time for people i unfortunately have not had a chance to play the original because i did not own a playstation one uh i had a sega genesis and then jumped straight to ps2 so definitely going to give this one a check out and it looks very good yeah definitely sounds crazy about doing mm-hmm. that so worth checking out the other thing i would say worth checking out is the star wars relaunch reboot 
renumber, whatever it is, uh, for the main Star Wars line, of course, written by the wonderful Charles Soule. Uh, of course, the first run uh, took place after the events of the original film, uh, A New Hope. This one is taking place after the events of uh, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, spoiler alert, I haven't had a chance to read it. It's out on shelves. I haven't had a chance to pick up my copy yet, but I have seen the first couple pages. Uh, spoiler alert, Luke gets his hand cut off. What? Uh-huh. I know, shocking. And Vader's his father, too. Did you know that? Well, thanks for ruining the book for me, Uh huh. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with this because, to my recollection, and please correct me if I'm wrong, even back to the old you know, books and stuff that aren't really canon anymore, I don't think they delve too much into this time period. So it's, it's one of those rare, wide-open time periods in this timeline where they can really do whatever they want. Yeah, this is something that comics really have a lot more freedom than the studios to do. Mm-hmm. That they can really deep dive into characters or points of the Star Wars history yeah. or, and just really let the imagination run wild from the creators. Yeah, it's also going to be interesting to see what they do because unlike with the first run where it was between uh, a, uh, a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, they had a little more creative freedom, I would feel, mm-hmm. because all they had to do was get them to Hoth. Like, okay, they can do whatever they want. They just got to get to Hoth. This one, they're kind of hands tied a little bit, I would say, because, well... Their main mission is they got to get to Tatooine and rescue Han. So you know where he is, and you know what you got to do. Like it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, but I have full faith in the line. Marvel. Oh done, yeah, Marvel's done such an amazing job with it since they got reacquired the rights. Yeah. So definitely get to your local comic shops and start picking up. Mm-hmm. So for my one shots, let's deep dive into something we've been kind of touch upon all episode. It has been announced that WandaVision has gotten an early release date on Disney+. Plus. The, move, the release date got moved up. Yeah, so it's going to be coming now in fall 2020. Mm-hmm. What is the initial reaction about this? Uh, my initial reaction is that either they're trying to copy with the Mandalorian success and, and how much that, and, and kind of like maybe if it comes out right around the time Eternals comes out, which I think is early November. Yeah. If it comes out like the week before or the week after, you know, maybe tie it in with some of that and maybe copy a little bit of the Mandalorian, what they did. Or there's something in... Now, this is dependent on when it comes out. Either if it comes out before uh, Eternals, there might be something big in the show that ties in some way to Eternals. Or if it starts after Eternals, there will be something big in Eternals that happens that directly affects this show. See, I was talking with our listener, Dre. Shout out to Dre about this. And we're all kind of guessing that for them to move it up, I mean, is it a reaction to... Dis- or people canceling Disney Plus because nah, the Mandalorian's over. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I th- if it were, if that were the case, and it were a reaction to them to people canceling their subscriptions to Disney Plus, they would have moved the release date up to like a week from now. Right. Like I think that there would have been a little more smoke to that fire. The only thing I have a question of, and I know we got into a good Twitter debate at OD Parlay Hour about this, was: Do you think they're adding a character to this? Maybe that they're really trying to to really draw some interest to the show and the fact they're moving it up, they're going to tie it into something else. Now this would have to be the question that it's really up in the air about where they could go with it. Mm -hmm. And to see that they're taking a shot with this, it could be something, but are they also going to do another cameo? Like I know Dre was talking about this, that another character from another show that they're doing. Maybe. I think that this might be a subtle buildup and I think this might fall under spoiler territory that they are going to slowly start building for the Young Avengers on this. And I think that you're kind of seeing more seeds getting planted throughout the MCU TV shows. And if you know what's going on in the latest crossover that's happening with Marvel, Mm -hmm. 
they have reintroduced a character from that comic line hmm. that when I saw it, I wasn't really sure how I felt about it. I got to catch up with Brian from Cheers the Comics about it because we alluded to this event that is happening in Incoming about what is going to transpire for the MCU and how this is all tying together. So I'm also wondering if that's going to have something to play with it. I think, though, it's going to be some cameo. It could tie into, obviously, Eternals if it's going to be around that time period, but I don't know, I don't know if they're exactly going to pull the trigger on that. I think it would be a smart play to do yeah. if you're going to move it around. And, and obviously, how WandaVision is supposed to set up the new Doctor Strange movie, would that mean that that's getting moved up? Uh, I don't think so. I wouldn't imagine so either, but... To see it get moved up, I think, is a... Because that, that would be a case of Disney moving it up. That wouldn't be Kevin Feige or Marvel moving it up. And Disney's got a lot of moving parts. Right. But the fact that if they really want to push this to tie in with the show, you never say never. Yeah. And could it be something that they're trying to get another show really going off the ground? Say a Miss Marvel. Say a She-Hulk that we know is in pre-production. Well, but if, if I'm not mistaken, I read a rumor the other day that Ms. Marvel is casted. Yeah, I heard that. I had, there has not been a name put out, but I have read that she, the, the role has been casted. Yeah, I've heard that as well. We just can't confirm who it is yet. But with that being said, if they want to get that on the fast track to get done and up on Disney+, Plus, maybe that's why they moved it up. I think there's going to be more telling sign to it than just worry about subscribers canceling. Because people can always re-add. I mean, right, that's, that's, and, that, and that's the thing is if they were really worried about subscribers canceling and trying to stop that, they would have moved up the, the Falcon Winter Soldier series to like next week. Right, so I don't think that's the reason, but I think that there's more to this story that's happening than we know about. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that, but it'll be interesting to see when we start seeing some trailers. I got to imagine we got to see something. Well, so the only other thing I can think of is maybe, you know, plans and Feige, Kevin Feige's juggling a million, you know, balls as it were, you know, the only thing I can think of is that in his grand scheme of how things are going to play out and when things are going to come out, that maybe something that was supposed to be next coming down the line accelerated and got going a little faster than maybe he anticipated. And that they're just, all right, let's move this up so that we can move that up. And, like, he's just playing chess. Could be. I mean, it's just going to be kind of wait and see. But yeah. this move is something to definitely keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. So that being said, at the comic shops this week is a pretty strong week from Marvel. Thor by Donny Cates is coming out. Oh, yeah. Hawkeye Freefall by uh, Rosenberg is coming out. I was saying, based off of the preview I saw at New York Comic Con for the Marvel Comics panel, uh, the Donny Cates Thor run is going to be incredible. Oh, uh, yeah, I have full faith in that. I mean, how he wrapped up Guardians was pretty awesome. And, it's, it's and, right. and, so, and some of the stuff he was hinting to and alluding to is just going to blow your mind. Yeah, and the cover for X-Men 4 is worth picking up alone. That's the yeah. one. Magneto, Xavier, and Apocalypse are just walking out in front of the UN. Oh, yeah. In the suits. I mean, it looks awesome. So much good stuff at your local comic book shop. Definitely go down and check it out. And let me close out one shots with this. 2019 has been an amazing year for the podcast. Pad and Coach Duffy have been putting in amazing work, and I definitely want to say publicly thank you to them on air. Oh, thank you. Oh, absolutely. You guys make the show. I don't do this by myself by any means. We've been fortunate enough to have a lot of great bands come through this past year. Shout of the Robots and Floodlands came through a Arctic blizzard to come on the show when the wind chill was about 35 below zero. Uh, Shout showed up to, to knock out an interview. Those guys are one of the hardest working bands out there, and they're even nicer people. Same can be said about Floodlands. They both have new albums out that you should definitely go check out on com slash music. Go check out them. Fair City Fire, who's so gracious enough to give us their music to play each week as well. Walking Distance, Honker. Those bands are awesome people, and they are so gracious to help out this hashtag 607 podcast about getting music on the air. 
I definitely want to shout out 3FN, Rich Ron, and hashtag Big Natty Cool Diesel, Mike C from Horizone 607, our hashtag 607 podcast group, which we have to remind people, this is not a gimmick. We actually do hang out, and we've been watching UFC a lot lately. Uh-huh. That Rich might have to come through for one of the sports shows to kind of break down some talk. Those guys have been doing incredible work this year. If you haven't been following them on 8122productions.com, you need to. They've been definitely putting in the grind. They have really stepped their game up, and obviously their coverage on Sci-Fi Horror Fest, Scaricon alone, let alone Love is Scary, behind the Patreon wall. Pad, they topped last week's episode. Oh, my Lord. I can't get into it. It's a short episode. I want to talk about it. Right. I really do. I can't. I have had two providers say, you cannot discuss this on your air because you're not behind a paywall. So I can't. So I can't stress enough spending $1 to get this content sent to you. Let alone you have the uncut versions of the wrestling show, which I'm now co-host of. Mm. And obviously the ODPH is going to be swinging through to talk some wrestling throughout the year. You also have the uncut Love is Scary and Horizone 607. So you can hear Mike C's reaction pre-scary and post-scary, which is always key. And especially if you want to hit him up behind that paywall, ask him about how he's feeling about the Yankee season. Oh, yeah. Ask him how he feels about Brian Cashman. Yeah. That is a great thing if you want to hit him up on at Horizone 607 on Twitter. And you can watch the reaction. Just, just tell him how great a job Brian Cashman is doing. Yeah. Uh, Mike has a lot of feelings about that. Uh-huh. And that's putting it mildly. Also this year, uh, the ODPH got to do a couple great events. We were sponsors of Robocon and shut that whole convention down with our uh, 3FN doing the joint panels, doing a live podcast episodes. The downloads have been crazy on that, so shout out to Johnny Moose and everybody who came through there. Had a great crowd for that event. Uh, shout out to Nat from Artifacts Podcast, too. On uh, Obviously, New York Comic Con as well. I know I hype it up a lot, but that whole weekend... Pat, how would you describe that? Uh, whirlwind. Yeah. It's it's one of those ones where, like, it seems to take forever to get up to the date where you actually walk down to the Javits Center and get to New York Comic Con. And then it seems like you blink and it's all over. And it's just an absolute whirlwind. It was an absolute whirlwind. This is the first year we got to do press. I'm hoping we get to do it again. Um, and obviously, one of the highlights, and I can't stress enough, was meeting some of the great indie podcasts that we were lucky enough to call friends Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to meet so Wizard, Joey, Markellis, and Aubrey, and Adam, who does our YouTube channel. Uh, John and Lou from Pina Comics, Ghost of the Stratosphere, Superhero Speak. All of them were so cool to just hang out and talk with. And obviously, we got the group photo, too. I mean, it was a cool moment to really cap off, you know, where we kind of grew as a podcast. Just, to, you know, I still think of us as this little rinky-dinky show that nobody listens to. Obviously, download numbers and meeting such podcasters as the ones I just mentioned just really say that, you know, we're actually doing something really good here and just continue to grow that in the next next years. I mean, that's what I'm really looking to do. So I can't say thank you enough to those guys. And, I mean, obviously every listener we met down there, I mean, Toonami was down there, Dre was down there, uh, just everybody we bumped into at New York Comic Con. That was just such an awesome event. We did not get thrown out of the, uh, the X-Men panel. Almost did, though. Almost did. You're welcome. Yeah, Pad Pad wanted to get some smoke down to that panel. Listen, they didn't say a key phrase that is uttered at panels uh, no matter what Comic-Con you go to, so I took full advantage. Yes, he did. And uh, we have not gotten a cease and desist letter from Marvel about that. So uh, yeah, and I did get some death stares, though, I will say. Oh, yeah. I, I wish we had a live camera for that. I mean, that would have been incredible. And obviously, just with all the podcast groups that we're in, shout out to Next Wave, Wonder Soul, Book of Lies, 
everybody who's in that group, Geek Freaks, Online Warriors. Uh, I could go on and on. Legion of Indie Pods, Ghost of Stratosphere, Pint, uh, everybody that's in that group. And Pod Nation, too, obviously. We got uh, three hours later, our guys, uh, 30 and Nerdy. Shout out to Josh and Tyler. Uh, cheers to comics. Everybody that we've interacted to on the Indie Pod scene, for your reference, One Movie Punch was the first show to ask for our promo, and we can't be more thankful to Joe and his team for that. Um, Colby Mack, I mean, I could go on and on. And I'm just, I know I'm forgetting names because I probably should do the smart thing and write this down when I do this, but I try doing this live. So sue me on that. But to all the podcasts that we interact with, thank you for all your support. Thank you for interacting. Let's keep doing it in 2020 and well beyond that. Uh, everybody's been putting in so much great work. We have all those lists on our homepage, ochoduroparleyhour.com. You can scroll down, find the buttons for the pod chaser groups, check out any one of those pods, subscribe, listen, sign up for the Patreons. It's amazing to be part of these groups, and we can't say thank you enough. So honestly, to cap off 2019, I can't say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you enough, but I'm going to because I want to wrap the show up. And obviously, I think I've said enough. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you, and I have spoken. I'm your host, Ken M. Hit rewind because you'll hear me say thank you yet again. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast. Shout out to CJH. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 